thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on KSIPress.com. I'm Danny Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC sadly off this weekend, so that doesn't mean we don't have tons of great content for you guys. Kicking off the show this week, we got a pair of interviews from LFA 170. First, I'll be talking to Harris, Harris Tolunzik, who is fighting in the main event of you, or LFA 170, rather. And a little bit later on in the show, I will be talking to Naira Rep, who is also fighting on that card. A pair of Bosnian fighters, not, nonetheless. Then, we're going to be counting down our favorite regional titles, the ones that give you the best idea you are going to the big show. That's right. And one of them may include an LFA title. So you're going to want to make sure that you catch that. And then a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be talking to Naira Rep's opponent, Shannon Clark, who is getting ready for her fight and doing so with a very interesting training camp. So you're definitely going to want to tune into that. And maybe even a little bit later on that we might have a bonus fourth interview. So make sure you don't close the podcast screen after that third one. We got so much good stuff for you this week. But before we get to any of that co- great content, I got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Game Up Hard Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Hard Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor for adult drink fun. Make no mistake, this is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's, well, it's really drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink it? Certainly couldn't hurt. Game Up is not a hard seltzer because hard seltzers just didn't work out. Game Up plays entirely in a league of its own, and it comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit, punch, and grape, and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs. It's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Game Up is for MMA mallers, urban fitness freaks, peak-bagging badasses, tough mother mothers, beer league brawlers, hot yoga hotties, high-handicap hackers, committed cornhole huckers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever you buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it on home for the team. Game Up brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Harris Telzunzik, who fights Daniel Frunza at LFA 170. That fight, once again, is on October 27th. So, Harris, I wanted to start here. You know, I, I've noticed across your social media a lot of times, you know, shouting out Factory X, and that had been kind of where you had trained out of for a really long time. But lately, I've seen elevation, and it seems like there's been a move. So, can, do you mind sharing with us, you know, sort of just what went into that move and why, you know, what time you decided to do it? Yeah, man. Um, you know, prior to COVID, uh, before I moved to Colorado, I was training out at TriStar. And uh, when COVID hit, uh, the border got closed. And at the time, I was actually thinking about uh, moving my now wife and I out to Canada and living there and training there. But uh, the border got shut down, so we came back to the States, came back to Nebraska. I needed a place to train. Um, quickly found Factory X. You know, I had a lot of friends on that team. And it's a great team and great coaches. I have nothing but respect for that gym and the coaches. Um, it just was one of those things that didn't work out for me. And uh, I needed, a, you know, a little bit of a change and something that, you know, 
was more tailored for my needs and my wants. And so I switched gyms and now I'm primarily actually at pound for pound with Justin Houghton. And uh, I do train at elevation as well and Catharos for my jujitsu. And I do my strength conditioning at Barwiz. So I also switched up my strength conditioning. Um, essentially, you know, uh, my training went from uh, kind of, you know, doing what I was always doing to something that was more specified for my needs and uh, as well as my strength. So kind of just, you know, took the next step in my career and uh, it's just where I'm at now, brother. I like it. And now, uh, out of curiosity, how recent were these changes made? Were they made, you know, after the last fight? Were they made after your, you know, prior main event? When were they made? Um, I think it was April, May, so spring, summertime. So it's been a good time now. It's been almost half a year. Um, the transition was really smooth. It was really good. You know, I'm still cool with all the guys back at Factory X and uh, uh, I got a lot of new friends and a lot of new training partners, you know, at the new gyms I'm at. And Elevation is kind of a really cool place. Uh, we train out of high altitude martial arts here in Aurora. And um, a lot of guys from a lot of gyms, a lot of cities will come together and we'll spar. And you'll see all sorts of names, you know, from the regionals to the, you know, the highest leagues coming in on a weekly basis. So it's a really cool place. It's really neat. You know, I'm getting a lot of new sparring partners and constantly evolving, man. This game's all about uh, evolution and, uh, you know, just – you, you never leave a stone unturned. You just keep uh, you, you keep flipping these stones until you figure the sport out, until you get to the top. And I, I've realized that's kind of what I'm doing. So I'm just I'm just I'm just trucking along until I get to the top, man. I like it. I like it. Now you also mentioned kind of doing your jujitsu in one place, doing your cardio at a different place, and strength and conditioning at another place, doing your sparring here. You know, a lot of people are are doing that more and more now, right? They're they're piecing together their camp and finding what works for them in a bunch of different places. Was that something that you decided when you were leaving Factory X that you were going to have to do it in a bunch of different places? Or did you just kind of like stumble upon this game plan? Um, so when I originally got into MMA, I was 18 years old and I was in Nebraska. And at the time, it was pretty similar to what I'm doing now. There wasn't an MMA gym in Nebraska. That was the thing you went to. You went to a we went to Lincoln Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Southside Boxing, and then we trained MMA wherever we could. And uh, as I when I, even when I went to TriStar, it was very similar. You know, uh, we would do a lot of our MMA-esque training at the actual TriStar, but you went elsewhere for your strength conditioning, for your wrestling, uh, for your jiu-jitsu. Even some guys, you know, they went other places for their boxing or Muay Thai. You know, so um, for as long as I've been fighting, I would say 80% of my career, this is what I've been doing, is training at multiple gyms for multiple disciplines. Um, it was really only at Factor X where I wasn't doing that. And I'm not saying that was a good or bad thing. That's just, you know, how they do it at Factor X. Again, I got nothing but respect for the gym. I think uh, the name, the proof is in the pudding. It speaks for itself. You know, it's a very successful gym and it works and that strategy does work. It's just not, uh, it's just not what I'm doing now. And it, honestly, I prefer what I'm doing now. I, I really like to, to be able to just uh, get, you know, specific one-on-one -on -one just for me what I need. I dig that. I dig that. Now let's talk about what we're doing now, which is you're getting your second LFA main event and yep. LFA, you know, really one of those organizations that you win a fight in the main event or you win a title at LFA. We're, we're talking about the next level, right? So Absolutely. the fact that you're getting a second shot at it right now, it really feels like this is the moment for you to, to turn it up to the next level. Do you feel like this leads to a title shot to the short notice bout? What, what does this fight sort of mean 
for you or what do you think the next steps are? Okay, you just hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, I think uh, regardless of how I win, as long as uh, if I win, um, if I win this fight, I think there's no doubt that I should be fighting for the title. You know, this will be, I think, my seventh or eighth professional win for the LFA. And um, there's no doubt I should be fighting for the title next. If not, a short notice fight in the UFC. You know, that's what I'm fighting for anyways. And so if I could jump having a fight for that belt and go straight to UFC, I would do that in a heartbeat. You know, um, I, I'm in this sport for legacy. I'm in this sport for uh, quote-unquote immortality. And I truly think to achieve that in this sport, you have to get that belt in the UFC. I think everything else is uh, for the bees, the birds and the bees. And I don't want anything to do with anything other than that UFC or that one championship belt. So if uh, if God's plan is for me to skip that LFA belt, man, I, I am 100% okay with that. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was – I mean, you beat me to my next question. You know, like we're, we're talking about – like a lot of people consider the LFA kind of a legacy thing. You know, like Brendan Allen's got it. RoboCop's got it. Ian Heinish yeah. has got it. You know, Fluffy Hernandez, Eric Anders. Like the, the list goes on. Yeah, of man, those like let, Yeah, and, and all at middleweight – you know, I'm just listing middleweight champions at this right. point, right? So like, uh, you know, so that – that's a, it would be nice to have, but if, if we get yes. to skip it, we're skipping it. <laughs> yeah, I got a spot on it on my bookcase, actually, if I if it does happen. But if not, uh, we can easily replace that with UFC belts. You know, <laughs> I, that's, what, that's what I'm in this for. So um, I love the LFA. I think it's the premier organization for the regional scene. I think all the other re regional scenes fall in comparison. Uh, I mean, look at the guys. Look at the numbers in the UFC. The LFA is the UFC. I mean <laughs> – it's every fight I'm fighting, uh, these guys are they're getting better and better. And, you know, I spar with UFC guys all the time, and I beat these guys all the time. And I can tell you right now, these guys that fight in the LFA, they're just as ready as any of these other guys in the UFC. So um, uh, formidable opponents. And, uh, again, if I think if I beat another formidable one, uh, I'm right there. I should be in there too. Well, we certainly agree. Now, before I get to talking about your fight, because that's what I want to talk about next. That's what we obviously came here for. I want to ask you a question about the LFA 170 card in general, because, you know, you you fly the, the Bosnian flag behind you when you, you walk into the cage every single time. I noticed looking down the card, you got a Bosnian comrade in, with you. you you've got, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah Naira Rep is, is on the card. And I actually interviewed her a little bit earlier in this uh, yeah. th this time. She mentioned she had met you out there. So what's it like having a, another Bosnian with you on a, a regional fight card? Uh, I think it's great, man. Uh, Nada, you know, she's, uh, she's a really talented fighter. Uh, she, she, she's knocking everybody out left and right. And so to not only have another Bosnian on the card with me, but someone who's actually legit, uh, it, it's pretty badass, man. It's cool to represent, you know, our really small country like we are on a global scene like this. And, I think uh, it brings a little extra, you know, attention to us, which we could all use. You know, we're all fighting for money also. So it brings a little more attention to us. And ultimately, it brings attention to our country, man. So, yeah, it's it's amazing, man. And I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it because I think we'll both do really well. So, Well, I'm looking forward to it, too. Now, let's talk about your fight. They give you the name for the main event. And obviously, like you said, the main event's the big piece of it. But the name is Daniel Frunza. Tell me a little bit about what you thought when they gave you that as the name for, for who you'd be fighting in this main event. First thing I thought was Runza's back in Nebraska, man. We got this uh, fast food chain in Nebraska. <laughs> so he's Runza's. And uh, it's it's really good. And 
that's the first thing came to my mind. I was like, okay, but uh, what? What? Well, now you gotta you gotta stop there. <laughs> what you gotta explain what a runza is, Ben? <laughs> so a runza, a runza is like uh, it's a German based uh, sandwich. It's a uh, it's fully breaded, but on the inside there's meat and sauerkraut and a little bit of cheese, and it's delicious. It's ground beef. It's really good. And uh, the reason I thought of the runza is because. After every fight, me and my wife, we drive back to Nebraska and we stop at a runza. Oh, that's phenomenal. So, so now we're talking about a frunza and a like, runza. Runza, runza. I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> that's fantastic. All right. So now after we, we think about meat and sauerkraut, we then think what about the opponent? Yeah, no. So then I was like, okay, uh, solid opponent. I got offered a couple guys. Uh, I always say yes to everybody. Um, frunza said yes back and they set that up pretty fast. And, um, I got nothing but respect for the guy, you know, um, I don't typically look up these guys before I say yes to them. I'll say yes. And then I'll look them up. And, uh, I, I looked him up. I could tell he was a solid striker. He's knocked people out. He's seven and two, you know, you don't get seven professional wins if you're being a scrub. Um, it's one of those fights where I was like, you know, I have to beat this guy to get to the next level. You know, it's not a yes or no question. It's just uh when, so um, it was, it, you know, it's what's got to be done. And uh, I got nothing but respect for Frunza. I think it's going to be a great fight. But I think I'm levels above this guy. And uh, we're going to showcase that on 27th here next Friday. Well, you led me right into my favorite and final question. Give me a prediction. How's this one end come October 27th? Uh, I don't know how it's going to – I don't like to predict the ending. You know, I'm a religious guy, so I don't really know about a lot. I, I follow through with God's plan. I'm going to show up confident. I'm going to show up uh, driven. I'm going to show up ready to go and give it 100%. And uh, whatever the outcome may be, I'll accept it. I do believe that I'm going to go out there and dismantle this guy. And uh, I've, I've seen a couple posts about me being easy work or this and that. And uh, I've I, – you know, I respect confidence and I respect arrogance because those are money makers. But when you're delusional, I just can't respect that. I think that's uh, harmful to our society. And so I think I got to go out there and uh, uh, show this guy, uh, you know, what easy money actually looks like. So can't respect delusionalism, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Terrace Talunzik, who fights Daniel Frunza at LFA 170 in the main event on October 27th. Harris. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Hell yeah, bro. Thank you. It's good talk, man. All right, and joining me today is Nayra Rep, who fights Shannon Clark at LFA 170. That fight is on October 27th. So, Nayra, I wanted to start here. You know, you're you're looking for, first of all, your third fight of your pro career this year, all happening in this year. Did you ever have this as kind of a, the game plan for your, your first year as a professional? Three fights, three big finishes? Yeah, I mean, that that's always been my goal is just to be active, remain active as long as I'm healthy and free of injuries. You know, I just I want to keep doing what I love doing, just fighting. So um, I was shooting for three and, and luckily I got three this year. So, <laughs> well, that's good. And, and so you said stay active because I know, you know, you haven't been fighting for terribly wrong, right? Like this is this is your second calendar year in fighting. Have you always known you wanted to do MMA and you wanted to fight, you know, as an Amy and a pro? Um, honestly, no. I mean, it just kind of, you know, it's silly and everyone always talks about it, but like MMA finding me, um, I, you know, 
when things shut down during COVID, that was kind of my, uh, I had like, it opened up my eyes and I was like, I need to, what am I doing? I'm, you know, I need to either commit fully or not do this at all. So um, it happened during COVID where I just, because I was in and out of the gym. I've been in and out of the gym for nine, 10 years, but, you know, I'd, I'd get in, you know, hit pads and then just mess up on the weekends and, you know, go out or whatever. But there was no purpose behind it. And I feel like when COVID happened, I, I kind of reevaluated my life and, and just kind of went for it. So so when you're making this decision to, like, reevaluate how you've seen martial arts and martial arts just being like a, you know, not a tangential part of your life, but a part of your life that isn't, like, all-consuming – what about what about deciding to you know like sort of go for this pro career go to make this a you know a lifestyle and a thing what about that appealed to you as like you know the way you reevaluated it yeah i feel like with everything in my life i'm i'm either all or nothing so it was you know it was one of those where like i'm either giving it my all or i don't want to do it at all and so for me you know whether whether it's work relationships or whatever it's just been my personality so um, martial arts, it, it keeps me disciplined, you know, and, and I don't have time for anything else. And I love that. It's like tunnel vision all the way. So, um, and, and that's, that excites me, right? Just knowing that, that, that's what I'm working towards is the goal. And, and that's how, you know, I live my life. So. <laughs> I dig that. I dig that. Now, uh, part of that, you know, giving your all to it, I've seen you working out a lot at Factory X and I know you, you've trained at other gyms over time. Is that a, a change? Is that a recent change? How, how long have you been working with those guys over there? Yeah, so I want to say I, I checked out Factory X a little over a year ago, and this is my fourth time. I'm actually in Colorado right now sitting out, sitting in a hotel room. Um, but I've been – so it's my fourth or fifth time here. Uh, to, I know the end goal is to move out here. Um, obviously, we have a house back home, and we're just trying to figure it out. So I've been kind of planting seeds, um, and um, I've been training with them on, you know, within the last year. Um, so it is fairly new, um, but I know, you know, this is where I need to be, um, and I'm, I'm learning so much. I mean, it's just it's different. It's a different level of. Um, group of people and it's just everyone's leveling each other up so it's like i know where i'm i'm, I'm where i need to be so. that's awesome to hear and i i hear fighters all the time lauding montoya and lauding the factory x team and saying all the great things that come out of there but for you you know in addition to obviously higher level of training partners tons of them in the room people your size all the things people dream of when they need a fight team what what is it about Montoya in the gym itself that like sort of jives for you that that you could tell that that's where you belong? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm like a kid in the candy store. There is there's just so much. I mean, the energy, you know, that I'm big on energy, and everyone's in a way a leader. You know, everyone's leading each other, and and everyone's trying to improve and get better. So, um, and, and not a day goes by where I'm like, oh, I didn't, you know, like I, I learned so much from everybody in there, right? There's always something that you can learn from everybody. So I'm just soaking it all in. I'm a big old sponge. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's awesome to hear. Now, I, I'm not trying to, I'm not putting you on a hot seat here, and I hope I'm not, and you can tell me I am if, uh, if I'm doing it. But what what's the game plan here? Because you are, you know, this win here would make you 3-0. and as a professional, you know, and you add the amateur fights as well, we talk about a couple more wins early in the next year. You know, places like Contender Series start calling or LFA title shots start calling around, you know, five or six and oh, right? So 
are, are we talking about this move happening real soon or are we talking about this move happening a little bit down the road? No, no, definitely real soon. I mean, I, I think I shared it in the past. You know, my, my husband, he was really big into cars and collectibles. He sold both of his collectible cars. You know, we had an entire gym set up um, in the garage, like when COVID happened, sold everything. So we're, we're really just, it's go time right after this fight, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at hopefully, you know, end of December, hopefully January, depending on if we can get a renter for our house out in Washington. So, um, and I've already picked a place out here. I found some apartments. I'm like, you know what, if we have to like get an apartment while we're out here, we're, we're doing it. So there's no, like I said, I don't half ass anything. So, you know, we're, we're using our full ass for everything. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's get to talking about this fight. Cause like you said, this fight is a big piece of that step forward. Before we talk about you and your fight with Shannon Clark, I did want to ask you, you know, you 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 know, you proud, proudly flag, proud, ooh, well, let's try that again. Proudly fly the Bosnian flag behind you. You got the Bosnian bombshell nickname and all that. <laughs> Yeah. I, I got to ask you about the fact that you also get to share this card with a headliner who is from Bosnia as well. Like, oh. what what, if, what are the odds of that? And also, how cool is that for you? Oh, my God. It's so awesome. Uh, Harris is, is literally he's my Bosnian brother, you know. So he is I, – and I actually met him while I was – met him before I came out to factory. Actually, he had introduced me uh, to the team and whatnot. And so it's I'm, – I'm super excited. I think it's – amazing to share that with him i think he's he's going to do a, a phenomenal job I'm, I'm excited to see him actually and, and be able to perform on that and i don't think it's ever happened so we're bringing the bosnian prize to lfa and <laughs> bail i'm digging it i'm digging it all right so let's talk about you bringing that bosnian pride and that's a fight with shannon clark now she like you kind of earlier in her career but has been tough as well lots of finishes what were sort of your thoughts on her when they gave you her as an opponent and what you saw in the film? Yeah, I, you know, I said yes to to, to the opponent immediately. I didn't have, you know, I, I, I wanted to fight, you know, three times this year. So it was a no-brainer to take the fight. And then um, I just, I think she has a similar style to me. I think it's going to be a banger of a fight. Um, you know, I, I'm ready for her. I'm, I'm super excited, so... All right. Well, I usually like to try to wrap these things up with a prediction. Can I get one out of you? How do you see this one ending come October 27th? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any predictions. You know, I, my, if you ask my mom and my dad, my dad called me the other day and he's saying second second round TKO. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm hoping for a quick finish, but, um, you know, I'm going I'm to go out there and do what I do best. So... <laughs> Well, we'll we'll take a prediction out of your dad instead of you instead. <laughs> it, and you heard it here. Go on. Thank you. I would say maybe we should ask my mom because moms do know best. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> well, I hope your dad's right because two rounds okay, gives us enough too. to watch and uh, and, and also get you the finish. So awesome. once again, fan, once again, fans, this is neighbor rep who fights Shannon Clark LFA 170. That once again, that's October 27th. Neighbor, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Take care. Well, we hope you enjoyed those interviews with Harris Talunzik and Naira Rep. I once again have Daniel Gumby Freeland. Joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, uh, we got to start here talking about UFC 294. We obviously had the favorites walk away victors in both the co-main event and the main event. We saw Kamzat Chemaev beat Kamara Usman. We saw uh, Islam Makashev take care of Alexander Volkanovsky early in the first 
So my question for you here is, which do you take away more here? Obviously that the winners of those fights did a tremendous job in, in shined, or was this just a cautionary tale that people should not be taking fights on 10 days notice? Yeah. So it is a cautionary tale that, you know, if you're someone concerned with future title implications, you probably don't want to take a fight on 10 days notice. Now, in the case of Kamara Usman and Volkanovsky, I get why they took it. First of all, they both made a boatload of money. Kamara Usman is a former champion. He just needs to string together another win. He could instantly be reinserted into a title shot. He's also near the end of his career, I would think, just because he is like mid-30s to late-30s. So he should be collecting paychecks whenever he can right now. So for him, it's not a huge deal. Same thing for Volkanovski, coming up in weight, the rematch. It's fine. We we all know what happened here. Uh, but that being said, if you are someone on the bubble, someone who struggled to get a title shot, I would not be taking it on 10 days notice because you see what happens there. And to uh, answer another question I think you brought up there is, you know, what's a takeaway or what did we see that actually was real? What I, even though it was a short notice fight for Kamara Usman, again with Kamzat, we've seen this over and over again. A bust out first round kind of tires himself out. Those like chain takedowns are not there the same way they were in round one as you get into the later rounds, round two and three. And at this point, I never want to see Kamzat in a three round fight again. I need to see this man over the course of five rounds. He's a supreme talent. There is like a gas tank issue, a gas tank monitoring issue, or how he expends his energy. Uh, and I think Usman kind of showed you, had that fight gone maybe a little longer, or if Usman had been more prepared for it, that could have gone a much worse way for Usman. And we saw that about against Gilbert Burns, too, like striking defense, not great for Kamzat. So that was my big takeaway from the fight. Not actually on anyone who took the fight on short notice, but more so for Kamzat. Yeah, I kind of agree with you because, uh, you know, uh, you can't write off Volkanovski too much for getting knocked out. Sometimes that weight cut messes with your brain and stuff like that. You, you got to give Islam some credit for being able to knock him out because, you know, like landing a shot on, on Volkanovski has been hard over the course of his career. I feel like you can't take too much away from Usman. His sub-defense looked good on short notice. He actually won two out of the three judges' scorecards in both the second and third round, uh, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. And yeah, I think my big takeaway from those two fights is that Kamzat Chemaev, despite winning and seemingly punching his ticket to a title shot, I just feel like is got so many flaws that we're not talking about enough because he's now been sort of outstruck by... I mean, to an extent, he got outstruck by Gilbert Burns at times. He got outstruck by Kamara Usman. And those are two dudes who are way smaller than him. And it seems like he's got that burst early. But apart from that burst early, yeah, like, and, and to be fair, Sean Strickland's the worst kind of guy to not be able to go more than one round against, right? Like, if you put him in a five-round fight with that dude who's got a hell of a motor and stays in your face for five minutes, that actually might be one of the worst matchups for him out there. I happen to think uh, Colby Covington is a bad matchup for him. If Colby Covington could defend takedowns, good sub-defense, which we know we have from him, and he just does his you know, accumulation of punches over five rounds, I, I could see Colby Covington easily taking three rounds to two 
in a decision against Kamzat. Yeah, I, I would pick I would pick Colby Covington against him. I would pick Sean Strickland against him. I probably at this point in time, if he did have to fight Israel Adesanya instead, I'd take Israel Adesanya instead of him. Um, you know, like I, I would seriously consider picking Kamara Usman with a full camp against him, right? Like if you gave, you just ran that one back and gave Kamaru 12 weeks to get ready. I think I'd take Kamaru. Like I, like I have no problem with that pick. So yeah, I, I feel like definitely the biggest takeaway in this whole shebang is we've got questions about Kamzat. Well, that was our biggest takeaways from last weekend. Let's talk about our biggest takeaways from this coming weekend, because there is no fight, but we have a combat countdown. It's our second favorite segment on the show. It's really tied as our first favorite segment on the show. If there are fights, we like our fights, dogs, and parlays. But if there are no fights, we like our combat countdown. So Gumby, why don't you introduce this week's uh, combat countdown and what we're going for? All right, so before I introduce it, I do have to let you know that Combat Countdown is brought to you by X Marshall. If you want to pick up some of the best gear in martial arts, you got to check out X Marshall. From rash guards to short streetwear to training equipment, they've got you covered. X Marshall is one of the fastest growing brands out there, and for a reason, the quality of their product is second to none. They're taking style to the next level, and they really do have a design for every taste and personality. So go check them out at xmarshall.com and use promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, for 10% off everything in the store. In this week's Combat Countdown, we are going to be breaking down our five best regional titles to own if you want to be successful in the UFC. So, giving you the quick parameters of all of this, we decided to take a look at all of the regional titles that are still in existence. We threw out the old ones, the WECs, the Strike Forces, and whatnot. And we took all the titles that are still in use, still being battled for regularly, day in and day out right now, and we ranked the top five that are good indicators that you will head to the UFC at some point in time. Of course, we limited it to one per promotion because we didn't want to just run, you know, five titles out from the same promotion or only use the same one or two. So once we used one from that promotion, we nixed the rest of them. So these are the five titles from five promotions that will most likely lead you to success in the UFC. All right. Well, let's start with number five and we'll make our way to number one. And number five, coming in with a bang, is the Fury FC welterweight title, 170 pounds. Let's hear it. Yeah, so I picked the Fury FC 170 title. Number five was actually close. There were like a whole bunch of different titles in there. They've got three or four guys who have gone to the UFC having had that title. Mana Martinez, Joshua Weems, Ricky Tercios. The reason it stuck out to me over the other ones that were razor close to it is Ricky Tercios. The guy is an ultimate fighter champion. He's picked up wins in the UFC. He's looked pretty damn good doing it. And I think a lot of people see kind of the sky is the limit for Tercios, who's kind of a funky striker and stuff like that. But the Ultimate Fighter Championship is a little bit of a separator for all of that. So we went with Fury FC at welterweight. All right. And then coming in at number four, it's CFFC for 185 pounds middleweight. Yeah, so the 185-pound middleweight title has actually been historic for CFFC. Right now, it is owned by Kyle Dawkins, who was in the UFC, but he actually had it before, went to the UFC, left the UFC, and has it again now. And it's also belonged to some really notable names in the UFC. Dan Miller, who you might remember being the brother of Jim Miller way back when, but also Dustin Jacoby, who's a top 15 light heavyweight right now. And Anthony Smith, who fought for a title and damn near won it by DQ. So we're talking about guys who challenge for titles, guys who might challenge for titles in the future. All of them have had that CFFC middleweight belt. So that, to me, is a pretty big deal. I would say so. Um, our Number three is one that probably most people are more familiar with. 
and you'll get to why, uh, but it would be Cage Warriors welterweight title. Yeah, I went with the Cage Warriors welterweight title. I know some people are probably going to be out there being like, why didn't you pick featherweight? Why didn't you pick lightweight? Because Conor McGregor won both of those. But really the lineage of people who've won the 170-pound title and how many of them there are. Like just sheer number of them who went to the UFC after winning the 170 title just sticks out for me. You got Pascal Krause. You got Nicholas Dalby who's still in there ripping things up. He's fighting in a few weeks. You got Mason Jones who had a great run. Ian Gary, who's like the talk of welterweight right now. Of course, you have some of the other Irish guys who came and went like Cathal Pendrin. And you've got title challenger Dan Hardy in there who fought GSP for the belt. So, I mean, when you just include, you know, Dan Hardy's wild resume over that span and like the unlimited potential that we seemingly have right now of Ian Gary, I think it's hard to uh, to discount the pure number of welterweight champions that have come out of Cage Warriors. Uh, let's move then to an all-female promotion. I think you know where we're going. For number two, it's Invicta FC's 115-pound title. Yeah, and when I went through the Invicta titles, I knew one of them would wind up on this list, but the strawweight one sticks out so high above the other ones. There are just absolute killers in this division. Of, of course, you've got people who are kicking around right now, like Emily Dukat and Brianna Van Buren and Kanako Murata, who are like fringe top 15 fighters right now, but then you have absolute beasts in the the current UFC strawweight division like Dierna Jandaroba who might be close to a title shot right now Angelo Hill who is like the iron woman of the division and of course you got champion Carla Esparza who had that 115 pound belt as well so when you've got a champion possible title challengers in the near future and like three or four other potentially ranked fighters soon I mean like that is one of the most coveted belts out there all right, and it's time for numero uno. It's LFA, the 125-pound title. Yeah, I, I we had to go through the LFA 125-pound title uh, history and look for somebody who hadn't been to the UFC afterwards, and there just isn't anybody, dude. Like, it is every single person who grabs this belt winds up in the UFC at some point in time. Cody Davis owns it right now. I fully expect Cody Davis at some point in time to be in the UFC. But we're talking about people who had short spans like Roberto Sanchez or Carlos Moda. Victor Altamirano has only been in for a bit. We're talking about people who have had longer stays like Charles Johnson and Casey Kenny. But we're also talking about the tippity top of the UFC's flyweight division. Brandon Royval fights for the title in a month's time. He was the LFA 125-pound champion, as was former UFC lightweight champion Brandon Moreno. So not only do we have somebody who's about to fight for it and might be a champion, we have a former multi-time champion in Brandon Moreno uh, and other guys who are just kicking around the UFC doing great things as well. So that LFA 125-pound belt is the cream of the crop here. All right. Well, let us know if you think we're the cream of the crop and if we did a good job on this list or if you disagree with anything, we want to hear that. So you can reach us at Top Turtle MMA on the social media. Gumby, we're having a party here. Let's not let it stop. Where are we going next? So we're going to transition now to my interview with Shannon Clark, who is fighting Naira Rep. She's talking about all of her very odd training situation, uh, training up there in Canada. And a little bit after that, we got a special interview for you guys, too. So make sure you hang on after that. And we're going to get to both of those great interviews right now. All right, and so joining me today is Shannon Clark, who fights Naira Rep at LFA 170. That fight is on October 27th. So, Shannon, I wanted to start here. You know, we've seen a lot of names coming in and out of LFA. It's kind of one of the bigger feeder organizations. So what I'd like to know from you is where you come from a little bit, because I've seen 
the training pictures with Melissa Crowden, who we, we've seen in LFA and stuff like that, but you, you're training out of a smaller camp, so give us some of the details behind it. Yeah, um, I'm from Lethbridge. I have trained out of a couple gyms. I first started at Canadian Martial Arts Center here, um, CMC. I've trained for a very long time, um, I don't know, about 10 years there. And then recently, I've been training out of the Lethbridge Police Station, actually. So I go back and forth between the two gyms, and but my focus now more has been at the Lethbridge Police Station. That's interesting. Now, it sounds like a, a smaller group of individuals. Is it a big team? Is there a lot of people who are professional fighters? Is it mostly focused on you? Um, from the police boys, there's no one that actually fights. Um, I have my coach, and he's fought, uh, Joel Ordorsky. Um, But when it got, regards to the rest of the team, no, all the focus is on me. Um, I'm very lucky I have a lot of people that come in and support me. So from the police station, now if you go back to the CMC, there's a everyone there fights, basically, that I train with. So I have that side, but the focus that we've gotten more so this fight camp, um, no, I'm the only one that actually fights. And, and you know, I, I've actually heard a lot of pro fighters say that they love that, that single, you know, singular focus, one sort of attention. Dean Thomas talked about that being the future of fight camps at some point in time where there's, you know, sort of one person that it's all centered around. How, how do you feel it's worked for you in this fight camp leading up to, you know, one of the bigger fights of your career here? Yeah, no, it definitely makes me feel very special. Um, like it's a dream that I have this many people committed to just me. Um, I feel like the practices are just based on what I need to work on, what my goal is, all this stuff. Whereas if you have a big gym with a bunch of fighters, I doubt they get the one-on-one the way I do. So I'm very, very fortunate that all these boys are willing to come out and put on their away from their family. And when they're not, when they're not working, that they still come and train and yeah, they're all their focus is on me. And it's very, I'm very fortunate. I, I agree that that's, the way fight camp should be. It's about you and you only. I like that. I like that. Now, I'm curious, too, because, again, you know, like I said, a lot of these people coming to these bigger shows, these LFAs are coming from, you know, hotbeds. You know, your your opponents fighting out of Factory X and you've got, you know, people out of American Top Team and, like, these bigger name gyms. And, and that's usually how they got into MMA, right? They're around someplace kind of, you know, that's a hotbed of MMA. What got you into training MMA? Yeah, um, I actually know a guy before he made it to the UFC, uh, Jordan Mean. He was, he's from Lethbridge, and um, he kind of was like, hey, come to the gym, because his dad owns CMC here. So I came in, I played soccer, so in my off-season, I came in just to stay in shape, fell in love with it, and then once my university soccer career kind of ended, it was more oh, let's just take up training a bit more. And then it was more my competitive side. It's like, okay, let's do one fight, see how it happens. And it was like, well, maybe I got lucky. Let's try again. And then here we are. So I got to seventh fight in. Yeah, so I was going to say, so you you, know, you you try one because you feel like, you know, you want to compete. And, and I understand that feeling as a former athlete. Now, I, I got to ask, though, is – you said maybe I got lucky. Was the only thing holding you back the like belief that you would be beating people up? Because you know, like, like, did you were you 
more enthused and just kind of a little worried? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was kind of shocked, to be honest with you. I've never been in a bar fight. I've never punched anyone my entire life until I got into the cage and I got hit the first time. And then I just remember because it was actually here in Lethbridge was my first fight. And I was like, I am not going down like this. This is embarrassing. And I remember going after her and being like, I refuse to lose. And and then, yeah, after that, it was like, OK, well, that was really bad. Maybe because it was mine and her first fight. So, I mean, whose first fight is nice to look at, really, and watch. It's more just scrappy, and it's just hilarious watching that footage. And I'm just like, oh, God, that's so embarrassing. Um, but, no, it was, yeah, I just, like, then the second fight, I was like, okay, maybe again. Maybe I'm still lucky. And then the third fight, and then I was like, okay, well, I get a turn pro now after my third one. So, like, maybe I do one pro fight and see Maybe it's just the amateur I'm doing good at. And then it was like, well, I fought it unified. And then it was like a title belt. I'm like, well, maybe I'm just like, we'll see. I don't know. I just, I go back and forth of like, happens. And then it's like, maybe I'm getting lucky. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like you're still not 100% confident. But I got to I gotta take it back to something else you said in there too, which is that you're not a violent person, right? You, you know, and we've heard this from fighters before. They've said, you know, they, they weren't in fights before. They weren't the t- rough and tumble type. So you said you played you played soccer at university. What made you think like when I have to stay in shape? It's not you know it's not an adult soccer league or it's an indoor soccer league somewhere or you know you didn't decide you were a distance runner all of a sudden. What made you think that the next level of competition for you was punching people in the face on the weekends? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm kind of sick and twisted <laughs> and enjoyed it. I don't know. I uh, yeah I don't know. I just. Yeah, like you said, I've never been that angry person. I mean, I can yell at people, but that's the best I've ever had. So um, I don't know. I guess I just enjoyed training so much that if you're going to put all the hours into training, how do you not compete once just to see what it's like? Um, Yeah, and then I I just fell in love with the way, like, you hit the pads. And I mean, because I started kickboxing. I just did, like, the regular adult kickboxing class for years like I didn't train MMA I didn't even do ground game like I was literally just stand up for years and it was just like all right I can hit something I don't know I guess in soccer I'm used to kicking so I'm like you know I get to punch something I can't get in trouble for it so that's just kind of how it started I love it I love it so now it's evolved all this way like you said six fights three amateur three pro we're moving into our seventh one and it's for LFA, and you fought for some bigger companies before, right? Obviously, Unified's a big company that obviously gets lots of publicity, shows up on Fight Pass. But LFA seems to be the one where if you make a run to the title or you make a run, you know, two or three wins in, the big shows start calling. So I, I know you're somebody who just said you, you sort of question how good you are and how much confidence you have and stuff like that. But does it start to feel like it's real when you sign on the dotted line for a company like this? Oh gosh, no, <laughs> no. Like um, when I got it, I honestly have never really, it never really clued in like how big. Like I'm just like, oh well, whatever. People might watch it. I don't really know. And then the closer it gets, it's like, oh crap, there's people like from all over. Like <laughs> I'm fighting in a different country, so it's a lot different. It's a lot different atmosphere, and it's just now you have to. It's even packing is different. It's like, oh, you have to pack to cut weight. Whereas I'm used to even in. Uh, unified 
I knew people in the city, so you're cutting weight at their house and not in a hotel. I've never had to cut weight in a hotel before. So the whole experience is just going to be very different. And even weighing in, like weigh-ins are at a different time than what I'm used to. So the whole experience is just going to be amazing. I'm very excited for it. So that's awesome. Now, I've always also got to ask you, too, because you said, you know, maybe one more. What? Maybe one more. And now you're starting to piece them together, and you're like, okay, definitely a couple more. Now you're fighting for an organization. You come to the realization that this is a big deal. You're leaving. You're traveling, all that kind of stuff. What? What's the goal for you right now? Do you have a vision for what this career looks like, for what the next year looks like for Shannon Clark? Um. My my next goal is to win this fight. <laughs> um, that I don't good. actually have a full yeah. I don't actually have. I don't look too much past the fight I'm in, um, because I focus just solely on that. I mean, my goal was to be flown somewhere to fight, and that's happening. So honestly, I've reached this, and I'm so thankful I actually get this opportunity. And if something else happens, awesome. But it's kind of Let's see how far I can go, I guess, until time runs out. I dig it. I dig it. Well, so then let's talk about this thing that is, you know, what is sort of our singular focus right now. And that's neighbor Brett, who, similar to you, has rattled off a really yes. impressive beginning to her pro career, right? All finishes, just like you. Uh, you know, only, yep. a, only a couple of fights for her instead of three. But, like, same sort of deal, kind of a similar style. What did you think about her when you, you know, finally got eyes on some of her fights? Well, I mean, shit, she's big. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the, one of the first things. Um, I think she's going to be extremely tough. And, yeah, similar style. I mean, it, I told people who obviously don't know who she is or um, people that don't really know a lot of the fights game at all and they're just talking to me and it's literally I just tell them it's Shannon versus Shannon and the best Shannon's gonna win like that's the best way to describe it in my mind to people I dig that I dig that now I I know based on all we've talked about here today and all we've run down that this is going to be the trickiest question of the interview but I never stray from my last question of the interview which is always asking for a prediction so can I get a prediction out of Shannon Clark how's this one end on October 27th I think it's going to be a bloodbath between the two of us. And I don't know who's going to win. I don't know how, but I think it's going to be a very entertaining fight. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Shannon Clark, who fights Negra Rep at LFA 170. Once again, that fight is on Fight Pass on October 27th. Shannon, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much. I appreciate it, too. All right, and joining me today, we have a very special guest joining us. Is the owner and founder of the company that you've been hearing about on our podcast for a few weeks now, X Marshall. Joining me today is the founder, Yosef. So, Joseph, I wanted to start here. You know, you look at the website, you know about the company. You started in 2016, which, you know, from my understanding, was a pretty tricky time for MMA and BJJ and combat sports clothing. There's about a billion brands out there at that time. What sort of inspired you to launch your own brand and get started in the game at that time? Oh, hey, excellent observation. Uh, the reason I started 2016 was it was a time for me to make some dough. You know, like, oh, 
I wasn't taking no for an answer. I didn't care how many people were doing it. I was like, if someone is making money, I can make money. So let's get in. You know, in the beginning, there wasn't a very noble reason, I would say. You know, it was just like, hey, let's, I'm going to be working anyways, you know, and I'm like balls deep into martial arts. You know, I love it. I spent so much time between training and watching all the videos and all that. So I thought, you know, I'm going to work hard anyways. Might as well put it in something that I care about. And uh, yeah, I uh, kind of dipped in. It turned out it was so much hotter than I thought it was. And then I was like, you know, let's just double down, you know. Uh, so yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it was just out of necessity. Let's just put it that so, way. So, so start with start us with the the martial arts background. So for those who don't know, you uh, you know, I've seen some some images of you kickboxing and stuff like that. What what is your martial arts background? How did you get into martial arts? Yeah, how'd you rate my kicks, man? I've been working on them for years. <laughs> yeah, I've been um. So I was obsessed with martial arts as a kid. You know, like growing up, it was like that was that before the internet, right? I'm 37 now, and it was like a. Uh, you get some uh, summarized stuff and whatnot, like videos, you know, I don't know what you call this, VGA, I'm ESL, I don't, second, English second language, so you gotta bear with me here. Um, What do you call those tapes, right? Yeah, we used to get VHSs, yeah, VHS. like I used to watch the old UFCs on VHS, yeah. Yeah, that's the one, right? Like, one of my, but, one of my teachers, when I was like, eight, nine, uh, he had some of them from Japan, it was like samurai people breaking bricks and like, it was like really traditional shit. And it was samurai. It wasn't even karate. It was like just hardcore stuff. Um, and uh, and I was just breaking bricks at home, doing flying uh, flying kicks and all that. And uh, my dad never put me through school. I had the whole thing. I had the gi. I had the nunchucks. You know, I was ready to go. But I was never in school because I was getting a lot of fights. In streets and with my brother, you know, I grew up in the Middle East, you know, on survival of the fittest there. So growing up with a brother that's just one year um, older than you, it's fucking, it's, it's a problem. Let me tell you, you know, like, <laughs> fights never end because our body types are very close, right? So the fight, like normally you need a definitive ending, but it doesn't come. So I just get an ass whipping for like an hour straight. And um, which gave me even more motivation to get into it. So I did that. And then I forgot about it, like between, I would say, 14 and 18. You know, that's when I did my degenerate stuff and just being a teenager. <laughs> um, still a gangster, but not like into martial arts and, you know, not a street gang. But I was doing my thing. I was like doing a lot of hunting and stuff. And um, then I, I moved to uh, I moved to England, then Canada. And then in Canada, 2011, after a few years being there, just getting sick of lifting weights, I actually didn't know about the UFC. I saw it in bars, and I thought it was like WWE kind of thing. I didn't know it was a real thing. Then I got sick, and I researched martial arts in my laptop. And uh, at martial arts school, Lions MMA on Granville, uh, Vancouver, shout out. So uh, I walked in, and there was a sparring session. And I was like, wait a second, I thought it was all forms and just like no fights. And then when I saw this barn, I, I, I was hooked. I trained twice a day. I had my first fight in three months. I, I, I took my ass whooping with me, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a big deal. And uh, I was obsessed. Uh, so I dived in for about two years straight between training and competing. I realized quickly I was already 26, 27. 
I realized quickly, if I'm not smoking the local circuit, this is not for me. You know, I'm not going to be making money. I'm just going to wreck myself. So since then, I continued training and competing. But I knew, like, I have to find a different way to make money around it, not, like, through fighting. So um, when I graduated university, uh, you know, I, I hit rock bottom. I went full broke. And, um, yeah, I, I just I started this. Basically, I... I was like, look, I'm going to start something. I'm going to do business. Vancouver is the most expensive city in Canada, or maybe top two or three in America or some shit like that. And uh, I was like, jo jobs were not paying. So I was like, I, I need I need to start something. So, uh, yeah, that's that's how it started. 2016, I had my first dips. And uh, then I was just like here and there all over the place. And then the brand came about around 2020, I think, or 19. So that's interesting. So you, you're mentioning, you know, like that, first of all, you had to make money. You had to figure out a way to do that. But at the same time, you know, you hit all these bumps of the road to start. It's not an easy gig, especially, you know, like you said, the, the combat clothing brand at that time period, there's there's a bunch of them. So what were some of the biggest obstacles in, in sort of why are you still kicking at this point? What, what was your secret sauce that kept you going? Uh, the secret sauce was not take a no for an answer, really, you know, like. I didn't have a plan B. That's the thing. I had no plan B. I was like, uh, I wanted e-commerce, you know, it's a low barrier entry, but it's extremely competitive and um, very, um, I, I call it like, uh, there's a lot of luck involved. So mm. when I started, I was, uh, you know, I, I, I did a couple of here, a couple of there. I got a couple of stores shot. I, I started actually selling random stuff, not jujitsu stuff. And then uh, at some point I started like kind of I was like, oh, yeah, I failed a few times. Like for a year I was working like 14, 16 hours a day. I failed. And then uh, I thought, you know what? This is not going to be easy. It's going to be hard anyways. So here's what I'm going to do. I don't care if this is going to take five or 10 years. I'm going to do uh, I'm going to create an MMA brand. And if it takes 10 years, if I do have an MMA brand in 10 years, I'm happy. I made it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to be in the workforce for 40 years. So even if it takes 10 years, then I got 30 years to go, you know, and enjoy the ride. So um, I got super lucky, you know. So I, I did a lot of uh, trial and error, a lot of study and marketing and a lot of really a lot of grind. That's why it was, you know, it wasn't fun. It wasn't. It, you know, it was just sitting in front of the computer and just like not taking no for an answer. I dig it. And now I, I want to ask you, too, because you're, you're right. It, it's the not taking no for an answer. It's the bulldog mentality in, in the business side of things. But you also have a lot of stuff that people don't have in other stores. You know, like MMA clothing looks very similar every single place you go. You know, there's the skull on it. There's the dragon on it. There's the yeah. sword on it. There's a samurai on it. But, you know, we're rocking you know, designs that have got donuts on them. You know, my, my, yeah. one of my best trading partner, he wears that almost every single time we roll. You know, we've got the Starbucks logo. We got unicorns choking each other. What, yeah. what was sort of, what were the inspirations behind that? How did you decide to be, you know, sort of be the outlier in all of that? Oh man, it's a great question. I should have gone into that. You know, like I was just focused on the business side, but really from creative standpoint, I was almost, I was always the goofy guy that wears <laughs> um, random funny shit for the gym, I just, for me, the the gym is your social place, you know, like most of us, like, what do we do? We work and then we spend time in gym and, and, and the gym and then you just go home and sleep. 
So it is a place where you meet your friends, sometimes you meet your girlfriend, and it's a place you, you spend your most social time in. So half-assing your gym clothes, it's really, it's a bad economical, I think, move. You know, like, how much street clothes do you have, you know, compared to gym clothes? And how often do you go to restaurants compared to you go to the gym training? You go train every day, but you might go to restaurants once, twice a week. So I always wear wore goofy stuff. And then when uh, brand came over and it started, I, that was my natural focus. I started like getting, uh, I, I was gravitated to those like funny unicorn, panda, donuts, and uh, designs that have like funky colors and things that kind of, you know, turn next. And um, I liked it, man. Like it was, it was my thing, and it kind of took off, and it resonated with a lot of people. Absolutely, that makes perfect sense. Now, I, I do want to ask too. Don't give away any trade secrets because we're not here to do that. But I got to ask. You got some more traditional stuff on your site as well. Is there is there a huge difference in the amount of donut shirt that gets sold versus you know like the standard you know the, the one with the dragon on it, for instance? Is it the it's the donut one flying off the shelf in comparison? No, listen, the donuts and the funky stuff has their lovers. And the ones that love them, they're into them. Uh, but uh, uh, some of them are fucking fantastic. So I, I don't know if you can cuss on this. Oh, you cuss all you want, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. So um, the, the funky designs are, you know, they have their people. And uh, they serve certain segment, man. You know, like I feel the MMA and martial arts world has a lot of people that are just hobbyists and like to have fun, right? Mm -hmm. So these guys are like, you know, you got your dragons and you got your, uh, you know, tab out style and whatnot. And, and that's how can MMA started. But then later, you see a lot of people that are a little geeky and more like myself, you know, like university students and people that are, you know, um, not like really into it for the violence per se, but just to learn how to defend themselves, get healthy, get uh, socialize and just have fun basically. So the uh, those funky designs are definitely getting some traction, let me tell you. I love it. Now, you know, usually as I start to come to a close with an interview, and you know, it's usually fighters on that sh this show and whatnot, but when I come to a close, I usually ask them, you know, what do you got cooking up for a fight? What do you got for a prediction coming up? So give us a little bit about what you've got cooked up for the future. What's what's maybe one thing that people should keep their eye out for in the future Axe Marshall? Absolutely. Great question, because we're starting a show, baby. We're starting a show. Um, we, you know, I normally film and vlog what I do, you know, because I travel and my lifestyle is like go travel, go to different gyms, train. And it, it, that's why I started this online business. I made the whole thing online and remote for most parts so I can continue doing that. And I was in L.A. a couple of weeks ago. We did a tour. We met with who's who like Eddie Bravo and Brandon McCann and some guys from 10th Planet. We met with Joe Daddy, you know, like. Uh, Ultimate Fighter, I think season two winner. Uh, anyhow, it went really super well. And then I thought, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy an RV, fly to America. I live in Mexico, by the way. I'm going to fly to America, buy an RV, and tour gym to gym, train and compete, and trying to go and trying to win a gold. I don't, I don't want to say ADCC, <laughs> but I'm shooting for an ADCC gold within a year. And I'm going to vlog the whole thing. I'm going to drop it in our channel. 
And we're going to be sponsoring athletes and sitting with with some big names, you know, throughout that journey. So I'm nervous, excited. It's kind of, you know, I'm I'm jumping in water that I don't know how deep it is. You know, I didn't know ADCC was that crazy till today. My first actually, my first training for this show was done today. I just finished it a couple of hours ago. And they told me, you know, in ADCC, there's no, like the mats are just suggested. You just like. <laughs> People just fly over the chairs and whatnot. And I was like, what? I actually didn't know that. But hey, whatever, whatever it is, you know, it's going to be fun for the viewers. That's awesome. So, of course, you can get all of the gear from the amazing company X Marshall on their website at xmarshall.com. And, of course, that's where you'll be able to follow all of the travels of Joseph as he moves through the United States in his RV. Thank, once again, this has been the founder of X Marshall, Joseph. Yosef, thank you so much for the time, man. I so appreciate it. Thanks, Daniel. You're the man. Thank you so much for having me. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Game Up Heart Hydration in X Marshall. And remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Data Gubby Freeland, he's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.